This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and hope is found in Christ, our risen Savior. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 today. We are walking through the, the letter to the Ephesians, and we're looking at the latter part of chapter 2 today. We're going to pick that up in verse 11, and this is really about the family of God. It is a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ really is and, and how we come from all these different backgrounds but we are together in Christ, and, and God has, has made us one in him, one in Christ. Let's look at God's word together. Take your copy of God's word and just follow along, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 22 this morning. Paul says, So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed good news, the good news of peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Father, we pray that you would take this beautiful passage today and that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, that we would see the, the, the richness and the, the beauty of the body of Christ, how you have brought all of us together as a family of brothers and sisters and what that really means. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak to us right now by the power of your spirit as your son is lifted up. We pray it in his name. Amen. You know, one of the great heartbreaking challenges of our, our day is the crisis of, of displaced people 
uh, from around the world. Um, refugees who are, have, have fled the, the place where they were, were born, whether it was due to war or poverty or uh, political oppression and totalitarianism. And, and it's hard for us as, as Americans to even relate because we go about our business every day not even like con- conceiving of, of wanting, being so desperate that we would take incredible risks to want to, to, to leave America and, and live somewhere else. But that's exactly the situation uh, for so many people around the world. And of course, what, what they are seeking is to, is to, to find refuge and acceptance uh, somewhere else, but that too comes with its own challenges. And you know, the Bible tells us in, in the Old Testament and the New to be uh, compassionate to, to those who, who, are, who are strangers among us, refugees, um, because in a way, that's who we are. <laughs> in the Old Testament, God, Israel was in that situation several times. They were in that situation in, in, in Egypt and in other places. Even the Lord Jesus, as a baby, he and his, his parents, uh, um, Joseph and, and, and Mary, all fled to Egypt to escape the, the wrath of, of, King, of King Herod, uh, who was, was, was killing uh, babies. And so um, Jesus himself, at one point, was in the situation of being a, a refugee child. And the Bible refers to us in the New Testament several times as, as exiles, um, as sojourners, as pilgrims, in other words, as believers, this world as it presently is, is not our home. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And so in a sense, we're never gonna feel completely at home here in this fallen world, nor should we, because our our, our real home is, is with the Lord. But but we have been given refuge in him. We have been rescued by God and we have been given refuge in in him. And he's brought us together as a family of brothers and sisters with with him as our father. This is a beautiful picture of that in this text. And so he begins here by telling us kind of who we were and who we are from the then to the now, from then to now. So we see that in verses 11 and 12. Let's look at it together. He says, so then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. Now, what he's getting to here in verse 11 was kind of, a, of, an, of an ethnic slur of, of the first century. In fact, the, the word Gentiles here in, in verse one, sometimes translated uh, nations, sometimes Gentiles, in Greek, that's the word ethne. It's where we get the English word ethnic from. And what Paul is, is pointing to here is sort of an, an, an ethnic put down of the first century. 
Jewish people who kind of looked down upon Gentiles referred to them as, as the uncircumcised. It was just sort of a way of, of, of dismissing them as a lower category of people. Now, the, the animosity was completely mutual <laughs> because Gentiles thought of Jews as just strange and, 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 and weird. And in fact, a couple of Paul's close friends and co-workers, uh, the couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who you meet in the book of Acts, well, Aquila and Priscilla were actually Jewish refugees who had fled Rome because Jewish people were deported from Rome for a, a period of, of, of time. Um, and so you see in the first century just this hostility, and it went back centuries, centuries of, of animosity between these two groups of people. You know, there are all kinds of, of rivalries in our day. And, and in some contexts, rivalries can be fun, right? I'm a sports guy. And so rivalries always just add spice <laughs> to sports. And usually people are really cool about it. And it's, and it's fun. And it just kind of amps things up, you know, and, and heightens the drama. You think about all the great college rivalries, you know, uh, Alabama and Auburn and and Michigan and Ohio State and uh, Texas and Oklahoma and uh, Duke and Carolina and Virginia and Virginia Tech and you know and so those things are they're they're fun they just kind of they they hype things up but when it comes to you know ethnic uh, rivalry, um, uh, racial uh, hatred, or, or religious hatred. Th these are things that, that have resulted in the deaths of, of literally millions of people. Now, for Jewish people, the distinguishing mark really was the, was the mark of, of, of circumcision. Um, now, circumcision is something that is done a lot of times for non-religious reasons. Very, very common and done for just all, all kinds of different reasons. But in the first century, that was not the case. Circumcision was really a, a, a defining mark of being Jewish. But even in the Old Testament, when God instituted circumcision, for his people, God made it clear that he was looking for a lot more than an external mark. <laughs> he was looking for something that would happen with their hearts, a circumcision of the heart. And Paul says in, in, in Romans 2 in verses 28 and 29, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly in true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. What God desires is a circumcision of the heart. Well, what is that? A circumcision of the heart is when what we ought to do and what we want to do become the same thing. It's when the Spirit of God transforms our hearts so that we desire to obey God from the heart. Now listen, only the Spirit can do that. Only the Spirit can change our want-tos. 
so that we want what God wants. But the law can't do that, right? The, God gave the law to, to show what sin was, but it couldn't transform hearts. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And that, that comes through the gospel of, of, of Christ, which is exactly where he's going here. Let's look at verse 12. He says, at that time, he's talking to these Gentile believers. He says, at that time, right, before Christ came into their lives, at that time, he says, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Wow, that is bleak. Without hope and without God. He says, that's, that's who you were then. You know, in, in missions, we talk about uh, unreached people groups. And, and these, are, these are people groups in our, our world that have little or no access to the gospel. But then there's another category, and that's UUPGs. That's unreached and unengaged people groups. These poor people are not, not only unreached by the gospel, they're unengaged. There's, there's no missionary from anywhere who is currently in, engaging them. That's what we want to seek to change, right? One night, Paul had a, had a dream. He tells us about it in, in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul, was, Paul went to sleep that night on a, in a town on the edge of the Aegean Sea. And that night, God gives him this dream, this vision, and there's this, this man who's calling out and pleading with him. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. Well, Macedonia was a place where the gospel had never been heard. And so here's this Macedonian man in this vision that God gives him, and he's pleading, cross over, cross this body of water. Cross over and, and help us. We are without hope and without God. We need the gospel. That's, that's why we do missions, because it should not be so. Because we don't want people who are unreached and unengaged. But listen, it begins with each one of us being willing to engage the people that are all around us. It, it, being willing to get on a plane and cross over a sea or get on a ship in, in Paul's case. It, it, that begins though with sometimes being willing to, to, to walk across a room and, in, and engage someone with the gospel, with the good news of Christ. It begins with being willing to sit across the table maybe from someone over coffee or a meal, a, a neighbor, neighbor or a colleague or, uh, or someone that you go to school with, someone within your sphere of influence and being willing to, to speak up about the good news of what Jesus has done and invite them. Invite them to come to church. Invite them to come to church activities. Share with them the good news of what Jesus has done, what he's done in your life. Engaging people across the sea really begins with our willingness to engage people sometimes that God puts right in front of us. It's not an either or, it's a both and. 
Now look at verse 13. Paul says here, but now in Christ Jesus, again, he's talking to these Gentiles, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These Gentiles were about as far away from God as anyone could possibly be. Unlike Jewish people, they did not grow up with the Old Testament. They did not grow up being taught about the one true God. These people were, were raised in paganism. They just, they didn't know anything. It was just a world of chaos and confusion. They were so far from God, but now he says, they have been, you've been brought near by what? By the, the blood of Christ. We, we sung that song a few minutes ago, Living Hope. The first words of that song, there was a chasm that lay between us. We needed to be reconciled to God because of our sin and because of God's holiness. I mean, how in the world can sinners like us be reconciled to a holy God? How can that chasm be bridged? It's only through the blood of Christ that it can be bridged. And we who were far from God can be brought near to him by the shed blood of Christ who took our sins upon himself, who lived the perfect life that we could never live and then died the death that we deserve to die taking our place on the cross, bearing our sin and our shame as we sung earlier. From then to now. Second, from division to oneness. From division to oneness. Look at verse 14. Paul says, for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. It was June 12th, 1987. I'll never forget the footage of President Reagan standing at the, the Berlin Wall that the, the communists had erected to, to keep their own people in, to keep them from leaving and fleeing to freedom. And so they literally erected this, this barrier, this, this wall to, 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 to keep them imprisoned inside of East Germany. And I'll never forget President Reagan standing there that day and, and making this speech and calling out to the leader of the Soviet Union, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And verse 14 says that, that Jesus has torn down that, that wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and brought them together in the body of, of, of Christ. Far greater than bringing these, these two groups together in one nation, he's brought them together and made them one family. One family of brothers and sisters. See, when we think about the reconciliation that the gospel brings, there's a vertical dimension to that. We're reconciled to God, but there's also a horizontal dimension to that. The gospel reconciles us to other people. You know, 1 John tells us, you know, how can you say, I love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen? That's, that's not... That's not 
that's not real salvation. When it's real, the reconciliation is, is, horizontal, is vertical and it's horizontal as well. How beautiful it was some years ago to visit a church in, in Israel and the pastor of that church was uh, Arab in, in, in background and, and many of the people in this church were descendants of Holocaust, Jewish descendants of Holocaust survivors or Holocaust survivors themselves just you know, brought together in the family of, of, of God. Awesome. Look at verses 15 and, and 16. He says, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. So another thing that sort of uh, separated uh, Jews and Gentiles was the fact that Jewish people had the law, they were raised with the law, Gentiles were not. You know, Jewish people, they, they had all these different regulations and traditions and things like that from the Jewish law. Gentiles didn't have any of that. But what they both had in common is that they both needed to be saved. Because the law could point out what, what sin is, right? Romans 3.20 says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. But the law can't rescue us from our sins. Only Jesus can do that. And so everybody needs Jesus. <laughs> People from Jewish backgrounds need Jesus. People from Gentile backgrounds need Jesus. People from every kind of, no matter what your background is in your life, you need Jesus. We all need a savior. And only Jesus can reconcile us to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But, but, but anybody can come to the Father through the Son, and we, and we are made one family of brothers and sisters. Galatians 3, 28 says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'll never forget some years ago, again, this is another experience in, in, in Israel, um, but I, I'd been out on the Sea of Galilee, first time I'd ever been there, and um, we had been on, the, had this amazing morning on the Sea of Galilee, and just the, the, the Spirit of God was just so, so present, my heart was full, and our, our boat uh, kind of docked on this pier, and at the same time, that I was getting out of our boat and getting up on the pier, on the other side of the pier, directly on the other side, there was a young man about my age that was, that was getting off um, at, the, at the same exact time. And this, he was a part of a group from, from Africa, a sub-Saharan African country. They had on like a bright, brightly colored uh, robe, um, but they were a group of Christian pilgrims from Africa. So this young guy, he's getting off the same time as me and our eyes met, and he had had the same experience that morning that I had had, and there was just like this instant connection. We'd never met before, <laughs> but we just knew we are brothers in Christ, and we just, we, we just went up that, walked down that pier 
arm in arm, arms draped on each other's shoulders and just talking to one another about what God had done that day. That's, that's Jesus, right? That's what he, that's what he does, right? He, 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 he bring, we're part of the same family. There's that family recognition, no matter what our background is. Verses 17 and, and, and 18. He says, he, he came and, and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What a beautiful picture of the Trinity this is in verse 18. Through him, Christ, the Son, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That is a picture of Christian prayer. We come before the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. The third thing that we see here in verses 19 and following is from shattered stones to living stones. From shattered stones to living stones. Check out verse 19. He says, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Now, in the first century, Roman citizenship was just a huge deal. There were all kinds of privileges that came with being a, a Roman citizen. And, and there were people in the body of Christ who were Roman citizens and those who were, who, who were, were not. But now Paul is saying that, that God has given us all a far greater citizenship that we, we are all part of the kingdom of God, and not only that, but that the Father has adopted us, all of us, no matter what our background, as his sons and daughters. What else does he say here in verse 19? Not only fellow citizens with the saints, but what? Members of God's household. We are part of the family of the Father. It is so wonderful. I several friends uh, who have done this, but um, uh, families where the, they've adopted kids of, of other race, races, and in some cases, uh, other, uh, other nationalities. And so, you know, you've got this, you've got this family and mom and dad, and then the, the kids are kind of all these different uh, colors and ethnicities and everything. Uh, they are, but they're, they're, they're one they're one family. And see, that's, that's the body of Christ. I mean, sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, white churches or black churches or Hispanic churches or whatever. Let me tell you, in God's eyes, we're all red churches. It's all about the blood of Christ. It's, it's Christ's shed blood that has brought all of us together, brought all of us who were far away near to him. Look at verse 20. He, he says that, that the church is built on what? On the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In other words, the church has to be built on the foundation of the scripture and the savior. When he talks about the fact that 
that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and prophets were the vehicles through which God gave us the scripture. If the church is not built on the word of God, let me tell you, it's on a shaky foundation. How in this world that we're living in, how do we determine what is true and what is false? What is right and what is wrong? What is moral and what is immoral? If we don't stand on the foundation of of the word of God, then all we're gonna do is default back to our own instinct or inclinations, our own subjective opinions, or just kind of be sucked into whatever the culture is preaching. No, as, as believers, we have to stand on the foundation of God's word. And no matter what the issue is, the way that our church has to approach that is with this simple question. What does scripture teach? What does the scripture teach? It's God's word that is fully truthful and unerring. It's God's word that provides us with a foundation. How in the world are we gonna navigate through this world without an objective point of reference outside of us? We cannot. We must stand on God's word, right? And so the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, right? That's the scripture. With Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. He's the savior. That means that our church must be centered on the gospel. The good news about Christ. He's the cornerstone. You know, we were horrified by the image the video image of those apartment buildings coming down in Miami. That was haunting, haunting the images from that that security camera. Can you imagine in the middle of the night just being sound asleep and just the the way that those those buildings just came down? Like we don't think about stuff like that happening. In our country, I mean, we think about, you know, we, that we have you know, building codes and just all, all, a whole system of checks and balances that kind of, we just don't typically go to bed at night just, want, just, just concerned that, that the, 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 the ceiling is going to cave in. But, but now we, we think about a question that we had never thought about before. You know, when it comes to buildings, how is this built? What kind of security does this have? What kind of integrity does this building truly have? The cornerstone is what gives a building its security and integrity and alignment. The, the church's integrity and security and alignment has to come from our cornerstone, who is Christ. Everything has to flow from him. Everything that we do has to flow from the gospel. 
And so here it is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It's about his work on our behalf, his shed blood for sinners, his resurrection from the dead. And everything that we do has to be done to advance the gospel. That's what should give the church its alignment. Does this help advance the gospel of Christ, our cornerstone? Look at verses 21 and 22. This is so beautiful. In him, in Christ, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So in the Old Testament, kind of the the focal point of, of, of their faith was a building in Jerusalem. Now, Jewish people, most of them, you know, were, they knew that you know, God was not confined to that building in Jerusalem because God told them that explicitly in the Old Testament, right? There's no building that can contain me, right? Um, he told Solomon that even as he prepared to build a temple. He's like, you know, don't, don't, don't be under the illusion that I can be contained by a building, right? But, but still, that place... That, 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 that building in Jerusalem, that was where the, the sacrifices were made. That's where the Holy of Holies was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's where, that's where the God met with his people, right, in that building. But now, Paul is telling us about a different kind of building. And it's not a building that is made up of building materials like, like brick and, and mortar. No, this is made up. This is made up of people. First Peter chapter two and, and verse five says, you yourselves as what? Living stones. A spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, the church is made up of, of, of living stones. And the, the stones that made up the temple in Jerusalem were shattered in 70 AD. The people who were in Ephesus could look up and they could see a, 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 a building. The, the, the temple of, of Diana, of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, loomed over the city of Ephesus those stones are also gone, long gone. But the living stones of the body of Christ remain. It, it, will, it will remain forever. It, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why we should be all in with the church not just the church as a concept, and, and you know, we're part of the worldwide church of God, the church universal, but being a part of the church universal um, is only meaningful if you're a part of the church local. Being a part of a, of a local body of believers who have been brought together through the blood of, of Christ. 
And it's not perfect, because I'm here and you're here. (laughs) And we're all sinners doing this together, right? But the church is awesome, and it's beautiful. And we're put here to encourage one another and build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, right? God, God has put us here to, 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 to encourage, to, to build up one another as together we're on mission and seek to reach the people in this community and around the world that are not in Christ at this point. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful thing is the body of Christ. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done in bringing us together as the family of God. Lord, it's, it's all by your grace. None of us deserve this. We, we deserve nothing but, but judgment and, and, and condemnation because of our sin. But, the, but, but we who were far away have been brought near by the blood of your son. And because of the shed blood of Christ, no matter what, who we are, what our race or background or any of that, we have one savior made part of one body by one spirit. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, help us to, help us to, to, to cherish and be thankful for the body of Christ and to, in, and, to, and to invest in it. Lord, we know that you love your church. Lord, we wanna, we wanna love what you love. We, know, we wanna be a part of building what you are building. And so Lord, help us in the body of Christ to encourage one another and build each other up and, and lock arms together on mission as a church that seeks to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with them. 
We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 